Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Amen. Rooftop Church, would you join me in prayer as we bow our heads together? God, we thank you for calling us into your house, God, that we get to worship you. God, we get to open up our hearts. We get to raise our hands in praising your holy name. God, as we spend the next few moments together, We hearken our ears to your word, God. God, I pray not only for understanding of the mind, but God, we pray for the faith that would indeed transform our hearts. God, it is our desire and prayer that we become more and more like you. Spirit, do only what you can do at this time, God. This time is all yours. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I believe that sermons should be preached in proportion to what the Bible talks about. In that, there aren't nearly enough sermons being preached on the topic of money or possessions. Did you know that there are some 500 references to prayer in all throughout scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament combined? And there are about 2,300 references to money and possessions in the Bible. Specifically in the Gospels, it's almost alarming how often and how much Jesus talks about money. He discussed the topic of money more often than he spoke about faith or talked about prayer. So this is indeed a serious, serious topic. This was also a very relevant and important topic at that You guys know what the parables are. Parables are fictitious stories or the stories that Jesus conjured up to explain a deep or profound spiritual truth. And he told about, during the course of his sermons and teachings, he told about 40 parables. And of the 40 parables, not terrible, (laughs) parables, 11 of those 40 parables were about money or use of money as the way to teach spiritual truths. For instance, the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl in Matthew chapter 13 um, compares the kingdom of heaven to riches. And the parable of talents in the gospel of Matthew chapter 25 talks about a story of a master who entrusts his servants with money to make a point about proper stewardship. And also in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, he draws attention to a great eternal reversal where, who are most comfortable here on earth, finds themselves sagging and lagging behind on the other side of eternity, passing on to the next life. So then the question that we might naturally ask, if we are the readers of the Bible, if we pay attention to the teachings of the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, what is conveyed. Why does Jesus seem to care so much about money or our possessions? You have to wonder about why is it so often that Jesus brings up the topic of money 
And he goes out of his way to include this topic in every conversation that he would have upon calling them to follow and become his disciples. One of the more troubling characteristics of the fallen humanity, of you and me, is our propensity to compartmentalize what we believe and what we do. Meaning one of the greatest challenges that you have in me is that it's not the comprehension, it's not the acceptance of what we understand or the biblical principles of what is conveyed to us. What we struggle more often is there's a disconnect of what we know, what we believe, or we believe in our hearts, and what we actually do. Meaning what we profess and what we actually do are completely different. And Jesus also alludes to this phenomenon in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, when he says, Your hearts are so, uh, you, you people honor me with your lips, but yet your hearts are so far from me. So he's always talking about the dissonance of our faith, meaning what we believe and what we carry out in what we believe, actually believe. And you can also see Jesus addressing the same issue all throughout the Gospels and his teaching. What do you think he did that? What truth does Jesus uh, want to convey about possessions and about money? So for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you guys about what it is that Jesus is trying to convey. And, and, and even modern day Christians and Christ followers today, what should we cling onto about the topic of money and possessions? What is the proper understanding of things and how should they be lived out in our lives practically? Maybe perhaps this is a topic that um, irks you. Maybe this is a topic that, that, that surprises you or maybe you're uncomfortable. Uh, maybe some of you guys are saying, man, I picked the wrong Sunday to come to church today. Uh, but I think it's really important because, um, it, I mean, I'll, I'll get to this later, but uh, our treatment of money and possessions is absolutely tied to our treatment of our faith in God. And, and I'm going to explain in just a minute, our, our trust and our faith in God is really inseparable. So the way, we want to understand the proper way that we treat money and that we view money because that directly applies to our treatment of God. So let me convey to you this morning just a three motives of why Jesus is teaching so frequently about money. First reason why he teaches is to reveal the placement of our trust of our care. The first reason why Jesus teaches about money and possessions is to convey the need of our placement of our trust and care. You see, we have a propensity to rely on ourselves. It's in our human nature that it's our first instinct is to place ourselves in the place of control where we are able to dictate the terms of our well-being. Meaning, it's humanly instinctive that we want to care for ourselves. When we are in need, it's human nature that we want to feed ourselves. How many of you guys have gone hungry? How many of you guys know that hunger is an... Uh, an actual emotion. When we are hungry, we lead. Uh, uh, when we are hungry, when there is a great need, it directly triggers in our human system that we feel anxiety, we feel apprehension, we feel anger sometimes. So, in in the way that we have this need, 
it's almost instinctive that we want to place ourselves to fill the need that we have. Over time, perhaps out of fear of not having enough or losing what we already have or conceding our say control over our possessions can become quite difficult. You know, I could think of at least two stories in the New Testament that reveal the complicated relationship between possessions and faith. If you read chapter 18 in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus runs into a crowd of people that want to follow him. Jesus, by that time, had already made a name for himself, and people are already deciding to, to, to become his disciples, become his students. And one of, this, one of the people that came out of the crowd was this young lawyer. Uh, the only description of this man that we have of is the rich young ruler. He comes, he rushes to the scene, and he asks Jesus, Jesus, how can I, what can I do to inherit eternal life? What can I do to become your disciple? How can I be um, a person that follows the way? Jesus, in response, quite uh, puzzling, he doesn't answer these questions. He says, rather the command that he gives is that, well, why don't you go home and sell all of your possessions, then follow me. Bizarre. How can, I, uh, how can I be led into this eternal life that you talk about? Jesus says, go home and sell all of your possessions. You know what the Bible says? Uh, his reaction of Jesus' command and suggestion. Uh, the Bible, the Luke tells us that when the rich young ruler heard this response from Jesus, this rich young ruler became very sad. And direct translation it says his heart became very troubled. And I don't know for how long, but that rich young ruler sat in that spot, contemplated, weighed the options, thought about it. In the end, he did indeed make the decision of choosing to walk away from that scene. Meaning his response or his treatment of his possessions became the determining factor of whether he was going to follow Jesus or not. Really, really sad. And just a chapter later in Luke 19, we are also led into a story of a tax collector. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. You guys have to understand that tax collectors are very wealthy because they were given the authority and the power to collect from any Jewish citizens. Uh, they were actually Roman citizens, but any Jews, right? So the Roman officials would select a Jew to collect taxes from other Jewish people. And they were given, hey, you know what, collect, let's say, $10 per week from every citizen, every Jew. Now, it was up to that particular tax collector to collect as much as possible, as much as he deemed fair. He would collect, let's say, 10 He would collect, you know what, I, I want, I'm collecting 15 this week. He would collect 15 give 10 and pocket the rest for himself. And he had the liberty, he had the freedom to do that. And Zacchaeus was one of these dudes. He wasn't just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. For whatever apparent need, uh, he had this void, I'm assuming, that he climbs a tree. He was really desperate to seek Jesus. And when Jesus picks him out of the crowd and he says, you know what? Zacchaeus, come down. For today, I must 
come with you to your house. So he freaks out. He's like totally geeked out. He's like, you know what, Jesus, are you kidding me? You're going to come into my house? Yeah, man, I'm going to hang out with you. And everyone's shocked. And he says, you know what? Okay. And Zacchaeus, in response to Jesus' invitation, he says, you know what? I will give back all that I've taken. And if I've ever cheated anybody, I will pay back four times as much. And just a chapter later, in contrast to it, it's just a crazy juxtaposition. We saw a guy walk away from Jesus because he could not surrender his possessions. The next day when he encountered the living Jesus, he says, you know what? I'm going to give away. You know what? I'm not a, we don't have to do a heavy math here. Zacchaeus, upon making the decision to become Jesus' disciple, financially and practically and, and possession-wise, he ended up far less well or good. Well, what's the right terminology? He was no longer well off because I guarantee you that Zacchaeus followed through in his promises. And we see this crazy contrast of people's responses. Again, I go back to the propensity that we have that if given the opportunity that we want to care for ourselves. Friends, let me throw out a question to you guys. God is giving you the option right now. I will give you one-time offer, $500,000 right now. God's saying $500,000. Some of you guys are already smiling, so happy. I'm so happy. Or I will meet your every need for the rest of your life. Which are you taking? Who's taking the first offer? It's okay. Let's all be honest here. Who's taking the first offer? <laughs> None of you guys. All right. I, we'll get to the point. Who's taking the second offer? Yeah. God's saying, I would meet your every need. Now let's, let's change the parameters here. God is saying, not $500,000. And you know what? I'm offering $5 million. One-time gift. Taxed already. Woo! Taxed already. So don't stress about the RS. I got, God says, I'll take care of that. $5 million. Second, I will take care of every need that you have. Who's taking the $5 million? Oh, my gosh. God, we, I know. I saw one hand. I saw, I saw, I saw what, what is this? <laughs> what is this? Who's taking the second offer? Oh, you guys are too full of faith. God, what have you done with us? Now let's change it one more time. God says, I give not $500,000, not $5 million. I will give now $100 million. Or I will meet your every need for the rest of your life. Who's taking the first offer? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Finally, there's a, who's, that's it? Who's taking the second offer? Wow. You guys are, you guys are much better than I am. It, it's, I mean, it, was it at least like difficult for you? You know what I said when I, Gave up, I came up with this example. I said, God, change the wording on the second part. I said, God, I want you to not meet my every need, God. God, I want you to meet my every want. And I think we have a deal. See, it's crazy. It, isn't it like your attitude towards this changed as the amount increased? 
Let me ask you guys, for those that raised their hand for the second portion, is there a dollar amount that you would say, you know what, there's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the line? Was, would $1 billion lead you to otherwise, to decide otherwise? No? I, I should just close the Bible and just go home because I don't need to preach to you guys. Again, in differences of our response in this uh, in given examples convey that if given the opportunity that we essentially like to have control, we want to be in the, uh, the seat where we dictate the terms of our lives. And, and Jesus, I think what Jesus is doing is that he's exposing the human nature here. And Jesus is saying, don't do that anymore. And Jesus is conveying the concept is, you want to be able to place your trust in me. You want to be able to rely on me. You want to be able to be led by the provision and, and the gifts of God. And, and, and I think this is why it's so uh, challenging here. Because that gives us a sense of control. That gives us a sense of assurance and confidence in going through life. Which is the exact antithesis of what teaches as faith-based life. This has been a problem and an issue from way beginning in the Old Testament. What God was saying, look to me. I'm the one that's providing for you. I'm the giver of gifts. I will make sure that every need that you have will be met Come into a relationship with me. Be led into the life that I'm allowing you to have. So ask yourselves today, is God, is God the source of your trust, of your care? Do you trust in God or do you trust in your abilities more? Secondly, Jesus' motive of teaching about money is to convey the importance of the kingdom of heaven. The reason why Jesus brings up the idea of money so frequently is because he has this immense responsibility of shifting the focus of, hey, don't live any longer for things that are earthly. He's constantly shifting the focus of like, hey, there's more to be had. Your life when you die, that is not the end. In fact, Jesus is conveying, now live when you die. That will be the beginning of eternity. And he's tasked with this immense challenge of, man, he has to get people to look elsewhere. He has to get people to look at the things that are unseen. He has to get the people to be invested in the things that there is no immediate payoff that you can touch and feel and smell and taste here on earth. This is why Jesus says in verses 19 through 21, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You know, David, two weeks ago, shared a powerful, powerful sermon. I've listened to so many times since then already. And he talked about this as well. He talked about joy. We can't have that joy derived from here, the things of the earthly. He's saying our joy, our satisfaction, our prize is, is elsewhere. And I have to highlight that because Jesus is talking about live not for the earthly things or the temporal, 
but have your sight set upon things that will last onto eternity. And he speaks of this temporality of the earthly possessions. He's saying none of this is going to last. The things that you're pursuing, these are all disposable. These will decay. These will rot. The things that we are spending so much time accumulating in the blink of an eye when we pass on to eternity, the sad thing is that we may not even have any recollection of the things that we pursued with all that we have here on earth. Some of you guys know that I, we recently became a dog owner. I don't know how that happened. <sighs> We're dog owners. So ever since February, uh, we, had, we had this uh, little uh, cute, uh, then was a five-month-old uh, toy poodle. We were told that it's going to stay really small, cute, and it keeps growing. Guys, pray, pray with me that it won't grow any long. Well, it, it, it's cute. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not really a, a pet person, but it's, you know, since having Romy, um, uh, our, our lives are changing. And, but, you know, it, it's messy. He's still being potty trained. But he's cute. He's cute. And I think in many ways, like, my heart is softening, and, and I'm learning to be a dog parent. And, 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 and just slowly, I don't want to convey false things. Just slowly, like, he's, he's, I'm, I'm growing to more and more. Um, we just go by the books in how we care for this dog. So we give him his breakfast and lunch, uh, breakfast and dinner, and a couple treats. Never like exceedingly. Never, we're not crazy. We only, I, at least for me, I stick to exactly what I'm told. I don't give too many treats, right? But I noticed that our dog loves ice, so I think at first he was uh, intrigued by the sound, the ice machine from the fridge. So every time he, we would turn that on to get ice, he would run to the kitchen. And he would like, try to jump, try to get ice. And I think uh, one time it fell on the floor. He must have liked it. I don't know if he liked the taste of it. That's probably not because there's no taste. Maybe he liked the cold temperature of ice. Maybe, I don't know what it was. But he, since then, a couple months back, he's fascinated with ice. So every time he hears anything from the fridge, he runs to the, to the refrigerator. So to me, you guys know, like, you know what? This, this is not costing me much. I don't even have to buy this. My fridge, which I already own, makes this. So once in a while, I'll throw ice at him. I'll give him ice. And he, like, I kid you not, once, once he gets it, he doesn't know what to do. He gets so excited. You could see him just kind of deciding, do I eat it now? Do I... Do I do I play with this? So he's like fumbling it, and he's like looking around. And I noticed what is he doing? He's looking for a safe place. So I noticed that my dog, once getting the ice, he goes away by himself alone. And he wants to savor it. So he plays around with it. He doesn't re- I want to tell him, like, hey, man, eat it right now. Eat it right now because it's going to be gone. So by the time he has found a secret place, he's away from everybody, by the time he's, he, he, he gets settled in, and the ice cube that he has gotten this big is about this big. And as he's trying to put it in his mouth, he's fumbling with his little paws. It's gone. Vanishes. And he keeps doing this over and over again. I have to literally, like, I, I have to have a heart-to-heart talk with him. <laughs> hey, buddy, let me tell you something, man. Like, just, it's not going to be with you forever, man. 
Just, just enjoy right now. And that moment, like when he did this two days ago, I had a, like epiphany, like light bulb went on. And I wonder like if that's our treatment of the things that we pursue here on earth. We love it. I mean, ice, I mean, we get so intrigued. We jump up and down. We get so excited. And when we indeed do get what we were chasing after, we get so excited. We don't know what to do with it. We fumble it. Oh, oh. And we go, oh, how do I best enjoy this? We go away. We spend time. By the time we sit down, by the time we enjoy, we realize, man, the things that I have pursued after, things that I've committed so and energy is slowly vanishing away. Friends, I want to remind you what Jesus conveyed 2,000 years ago. It's the same reality. And I also believe that sometimes it's weird, right? Why did Jesus have to talk like this? And I'm pretty sure, I'm guaranteeing you that what Jesus faced, the human issues back then, were the same issues that existed even 4,000 prior. Even ancient Israel life. Do you guys not know the story of manna? Did you not know, do you not know the struggles of, of people even the early days? Greed? Not trusting God? Wanting to ensure for themselves security. Jesus is saying, live not for the things, the temporal things of this earth. Now set your sight upon eternity. And Luke chapter 12, verse 19 through 21, Jesus tells a story of the rich fool who stored up all of his material goods and said to himself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But then God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And now, some of us may read that we interpret it as such, you know what? Life is transient. I don't, I'm not going to live forever, so I'm going to just YOLO. I'm going to just enjoy, drink, be merry, and I'm going to do all of that. So, so, and Jesus, in his omniscience, he, he, he foresaw this. He says, no, 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 no. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Jesus again affirms that, look on to eternity, eternity. Build for yourself. Be concerned about what you are building as we will one day pass on to eternity. I think 2018 or 19, I forget the exact year, but before the pandemic hit us, we had a, a kind of a financial workshop one day. We had a financial workshop. We invited a guest um, who was really knowledgeable in that regard. I remember, uh, actually remember all the fine details of how to budget all that stuff, unfortunately. And I remember one big takeaway was that um, a good amount of that work seminar was spent on preparing for retirement and investment. And, and a lot of our questions came uh, has to, that had to do with security of our future, retirement, and making sure that 
uh, after we spend a season 20, 30 years of working and preparing for our lives, making sure that, that we are taken care of in that regard. Guys, I'm not, I'm not a financial expert here. I'm not, a, I'm not your financial advisor. But as your pastor, as a fellow Christian, as a fellow disciple of Jesus Christ, I do wonder how versed we are in preparing for not just retirement, but life after that as well. How many of the things that we are involved in, things that we are storing up for ourselves, will simply expire the moment we pass on to different life? And I think we have to take with great consideration that we have to allocate our resources, expend our resources on the things that will last onto eternity. Not just your financial monetary portfolio, but spiritual portfolio as well. And using the God-given resources that we do have, making sure those resources are being expended onto the things that will carry onto eternity. And the third reason that I could think of why Jesus teaches so often about money. The third reason is this, caring for the needy. Again, let me resort to the Lucan account in chapter 12, verses 33, 34. And this is Luke's summarization of the same conversation that Jesus was having with the disciples. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You understand by the sheer language of it, this is the same sermon, same story, but but Luke adds a, a minor detail in the beginning of the verse. Verse 33, he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. And the reason why Jesus talks so so much about money and possessions, and he's always including in the conversation of the duty and the responsibility that God's people have in caring for the needy, the poor, the, uh, the poor, the widow, the oppressed. And Jesus says, This is your responsibility now. Friends, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why why God does not just equate, uh, God does not create equal wealth for everybody? It would be so much easier. Have you ever wondered why if we, at least God, we gave out out of faith, we have decided to follow you. We are now trusting you. God, it would be wonderful if you give to us in equal measure in the way you provide for us. It would be so simple. No need to stress, right? We would believe so much better. But why not? Why do we have different wealth classes? Why it had to be this way from the beginning? The notion of rich and the poor, why do they even exist? I believe the way this inherent system even exists in our society or humanity is that in such lack, this is an avenue where God can convey his character, his love, his provision. This is one of the pathways that God can work even amongst, even in and of ourselves. 
God is saying, you know what? I have created some to be needed. I have some, I've created some of you guys to, to, to be flourishing in an abundance because in your communication, in your community life together, when people of God respond to the lack that there is, there in the midst is my heart, my character, my personality being experienced among you. It's so that we can share. Share the love of God. Share the grace of Jesus. Share the resources we have among ourselves. Being a blessing, it's God allowing us uh, into this valuable kingdom principle. Through this and only this way that we can be an interdependent community. God has created a community which his members aren't self-sufficient but interdependent. God's saying, he teaches about possessions. He reminds us about money in our treatment of money because he's saying, you know what? The poor, the needy, you'll always have. And as you experience the flourishing of my provision for you, your heart will be tugged at here and there because I'm calling you now to respond, to be the blessing, to be the answer for someone else's problem. In some ways, Church is also one of these avenues. Have you guys ever wondered, like, what, why do I give? Why do we tithe? Why do, why do we collect missions offering? It's because church is one of the ways that we provide for the needy. We, we go out and do ministry and responding to the need that arises in our midst. And I think also this highlights to uh, the second point that we had, uh, preventing us from accumulating things that would decay on earth. He rather, he says, you know what? Live, live being satisfied as your needs are being met. Once those needs are met, I think you and I are, are, are now have to be thinking differently that now, rather than adding on top of the needs being met, now, how active can we be in meeting the needs of others? Let me throw out one word for you guys, the word greed. And this is the way that I had defined it. Greed, satisfaction comes not from your needs being met, but from the increase of your wealth, from the increase of accumulation of possessions. I think this is a real emotion. This is also a real characteristic that you and I are exposed to. And Jesus cautions us in that regard. Live in such way that you experience the provision of that I'm giving you, but also caution yourself not going above and beyond and not making the focus of your life accumulating, adding on to tenfold, hundredfold, infinite amount, but rather now, you are the responder, the need that arises in and around you. How do you combat that? How do you combat the opposite spirit? Now move in generosity. Move in giving. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Do you guys know um, when, when the spiritual leaders... Um, in the faith community at large in this nation, particularly the spiritual leaders and the pastors, 
of, of this community in, in, in Southern California. Do you, do you know the number one thing that we pray for in, in this section or, you know, some of you guys are outside of Orange County, right? Do you guys know that there's like a, there's a thing that we pray for, pray against? Um, and I didn't come up with this, um, but for, for the past 10, 15 years now, there's this ter- term, um, comfort. Comfort has been deemed as the number one obstacle and enemy for, for, for spiritual uh, life here in Orange County. So we pray against that people of God, uh, we are not so enamored with the idea of like we are cruising through life. We want to do everything that we can. Like comfort is the epitome of our life. Comfort is the penultimate goal for many people that are residing in this sector of California. What do you guys think? Do you guys agree? Disagree? I don't know. I'm just letting you know as a fellow pastor that word is out there. And when I observe, to a certain degree, I do have to agree. Because sometimes, like, if I'm not careful, that's what I live for as well. I get most excited about vacation. I get most excited about, when's our next day off? I get most excited about, I mean, not, not most. This one, I'm still behind. Like, but I see some parents, man, kids, school, districts. You know, uh, education, teacher, teacher-student ratio, you know, all these things. I think about it. And I think uh, we have to understand, like, there's a little bit of part of me where I do have to admit that that is a great battle that we have. And because of that, when that becomes our goal, we lose sight of the faith life that God has called us to live. We are constantly lost between our pursuit of money, pursuit of security, pursuit of comfort, yet God is revealing to us, man, but if you want to experience me, you got to go out and sell your possessions. You got to go out and give to the poor. I sometimes get emails upon hearing certain sermons. I say, Pastor, I'm afraid because what if God one day calls me to the mission field? What if God one day calls me to Africa? Guys, we have had such prejudice against Africa. Like, Africa became the great enemy of... But I think that exposes why. You know what it is? It's comfort. It's security. We are inherently afraid of what God may be calling us to do. The kind of life that God may be calling us to live. What would you do? How would you respond? Say, today... I'll give you 30-day notice. But starting July, you're going to live in Idaho. And I want you to live there. Be the light. Shout from the rooftops. I'm looking at you guys, you too. Relocate. What would you do? You know, I know what I would do. I say, God, no, thank you. Are you sure? Please. God, I want you to fast and pray about this. And, and check back with me. Do we not have the similar response? It's because of this. Our treatment of our possessions is tethered to our treatment and our trust in God.
And I'm encouraging you guys today. I'm not angry. I'm not frustrated. If anything, I'm saddened because your struggle is my struggle. Our collective pain and struggle is that of the same thing 2,000 and 4,000, 5,000 years ago. But all I know is that the way that God calls us to trust in him and have our relationship built with his love, that we have to think about these things. We have to make sure that we do not live for the things that will one day disappear and decay. You and I have to be a kingdom-minded people, kingdom-focused people that will look beyond what is seen, touched, and tasted, and experienced here on earth. And your joy, my joy, have to be that of something that is far more greater, far more eternal. Amen? Do this. And I want to spend the next week talking about how better, how practically we can do this. But I'm going to summarize today. Give to God in return, not just seeking a return. If you're not already doing this, you should be. Because I'm going to talk about this next week, but give actually an, uh, 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 a sacrament of, of, of grace. It allows us to live. It allows us to be kingdom-minded people. Give to God as trusting in the Lord, not trusting in your wealth. And I want to say begin tithing. 10%, are you tithing? Are you giving to God um, what the Bible teaches us that actually belongs to God? Are you giving to the needy? I want you to think about these things, and I'm going to unpack more in detail next week. What is the point of tithing? What is the biblical mandate? What should be our treatment of tithing and offerings? And exactly how much, how often, how, to what extent should we be involved in relieving um, and providing care for the needy around us? I tell you what, guys, we cannot not experience God more deeply if we're not able to concede and surrender to the Lord. What we often say, God, this is a blessing from you. God, if not for you, yet it does not make sense that we are not able to surrender and concede to the Lord. Does that make sense, guys? Today, maybe it's very challenging. Uh, I imagine that it's very difficult, maybe challenging for you to listen. Um, perhaps it's just as challenging preparing such message, but I think it reveals so honestly of our propensity to cling to because, and, and that uh, leading us farther and farther away from our trust and faith in God. May God encourage you. May God allow you to experience him as he provides for your every single need that you have. Amen? Amen, church? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's have the praise team, praise team to come on up.